Hello and good evening, everyone, from the highest point on FSU's campus and the hottest room in some of the sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from room 420 inside of Different Boss. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, greatest, and Florida Statist in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at Tomahawk underscore, or excuse me, at Talk underscore Tomahawk, and you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. That's 850-644-1837. Before we start the show tonight, and this really sucks, because I felt like I've had to do this way too many times since I've become host of the show, where I have to start off the show with something other than sports, but I would like to take a few seconds here to have some radio silence here for the, uh, the two women, one student and one doctor, both here at Florida State, who were shot and killed in the hot yoga class this past Friday, so if we could take a few seconds here. And it, it's truly awful what uh, has happened. And for those of you that are listening that are not local, there have been a couple of shootings here in Tallahassee over the past two weeks or so. But obviously this one it has gotten the most press out of all of them. Now, if you know me personally, you know that I'm a very apolitical person. I don't like politics. I'm registered to vote, but I don't like politics. The most that I talk politics. <laughs> the most I talk politics is with my grandfather at Thanksgiving and occasionally with my mother. And especially with... Um, with, with how much our current president has involved himself in the sports world, I believe that there should be a separation of sports and state just like there is a constitutional separation of church and state. I, I don't like talking about politics in any proximity to sports, and although I understand why some things like the Colin Kaepernick movement have taken off and have become something above sports and something more than football, um, I wish I didn't sometimes. But with that being said, I am from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I lived 30 minutes or so away from the school shooting at Major Stoneman Douglas. I go to a university in which our public library was shot up and two students died in that shooting as well. Our very own Luke Fay lives about five minutes away from the P Pulse in Orlando, the nightclub that had an awful shooting a few years ago. And now there have been a, multi there, there have been a couple shootings here in just a few weeks uh, in Tallahassee. Folks, it's happened in my hometown, it's happened to me here, it's happened in schools and yoga rooms and libraries, and I'm starting to run out of places that I feel safe. I was out celebrating with my friends at the VA 931st birthday bash, but it could have happened to us very well at the Millberry. Something needs to be done here. I'm not, not telling you to vote, and I'm not telling you not to vote, I'm just saying that there, there, there is an issue here, um, and it's one that needs to be resolved. You know, whether it's a gun issue or mental health, doesn't matter to me. It's an issue that needs to be resolved. It's not my place as a host of a radio show to tell y you know any of you to do anything. In fact, I'm pretty sure if I do that, I will get fired. <laughs> but something needs to be uh, done with this. And there's nothing worse than having to open up what is supposed to be a fun sports talk show uh, with talks like this. And I think that's something that everybody can very well agree on. Well, we do have a pretty packed show tonight. A recap of the ugly NC State and Florida State game this past weekend with the only positive being that it wasn't as ugly as the Clemson game. That's not entirely true. There's there's some there, there's some there's some other positives that that might have come out of that game. Maybe. Um, Maybe. While I'm paying an all expense paid trip to teach ACC officials what pass interference is, because it's clear that they have forgotten. Uh, <laughs> uh, and later on in the show, some mid-season NFL awards. And that should be fun. But what is a captain without his crew? I am joined as always by my good friend and co-host Chris Camacho. How about them Saints? How about them? Now Saints? now, you know people know that. You are an L.A. an L.A. person, so mm -hmm. people might have thought that you'd be rooting for the Rams, but you are not. You're a Saints fan, and that was probably the best game that I've seen yet this season: the Rams versus the Saints. 
uh, about it was a four o'clock game on Sunday. Certainly better than the absolute thriller that was the Dolphins and the Jets, <laughs> with a final score of thirteen to six. Oh wow! <laughs> but how about them Saints? It was. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Unfortunately, as much as I wanted to see it, I was in the middle of a movie. I was watching Bohemian Rhapsody. Highly recommend it. It's really good. Uh, but the game itself, um, I, I'm not gonna lie. As an LA fan, I wouldn't have minded if the um, if the Rams would have won as well. But of course, I was pulling for the Saints. Uh, my phone's ringing. You know, I'm sure Michael Thomas knows knows what I'm talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think it was. Uh, it looked like it was a very exciting game. I think it's. I genuinely believe. I genuinely believe that it is a preview of the NFC Championship. Uh, what could be a potential NFC championship. Um, the Saints look incredible. They're looking great. And, you know, even though even though the Rams lost, that doesn't knock the 8-0 the run that they had to start the season. Um, it, it's been – it's – they're two great teams that are going to go a long way uh, in the playoffs in January. And making his return to the table, Gary Putnick, the Ray, the Ray Allen to the big three. I've, I've, Marlon I've, Boy Wonder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Doing a little bit better, even though the Dolphins did have a bad game. Dolphins had drew four turnovers against Darnold, so it's a pretty good day. <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, making his Tomahawk debut, Mr. Brett Rutherford. How are you doing, sir? You know, I'm doing good. Uh, it, w it was a long weekend. The Bucks continue to be a dumpster fire of an organization. But well, well, how do you feel about Fitzmagic? I mean, I can tell you from somebody who has had Fitzmagic play uh, as part of the Bills and the Jets that I personally think he's not that great of a quarterback and his magic runs out. <laughs> but where are you sitting with I that? Mean, I mean, I'm on board. I think right now he puts us in the best position to win games, but it's just going to be a long season no matter what. <laughs> Chris Camacho, Gary Putnick, Brett Rutherford, and once again, I'm your host, Nick Carlisle, and we are starting off the top, which if you don't know, is the segment where I take a look at the previous week in sports and pick the big story or topic and throw it at our panelists, forcing them to come up with the answers off the top of their head at the top of the show. And tonight, the Oakland Raiders fell in disastrous fashion to the 49ers on Thursday night last week, 34-3, to and the 49ers actually rented their quarterback from a red box. <laughs> uh, Nick Mullins led the 49ers to an impressive win given the circumstances, but the Raiders are now 1-7. And they look absolutely atrocious. Mm -hmm. And they just released Bruce Irvin as well. Now, granted, Irvin wasn't the player that he was when he won in Seattle. But just when you think the defense couldn't get any worse, uh, they continue to, to surprise us. Remember, this is a team that in 2016, they were looking to be Super Bowl contenders. But then Derek Carr got hurt. I think he broke his leg, if I remember correctly. And then the season was practically over for them. They lost in the playoffs to the Texans. 2017 was a bit of a down year. Uh, Jack Del Real obviously got fired. But that year compared to this year would be a godsend. Guys, I know this is a pretty general question, but is this the biggest collapse of a team in recent memory? Well, I think that's a better question for John Gruden. <laughs> See what he says about that. But uh, I think he should. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, he has no one to blame but, his, but himself there, I think. Um, but I, I think for this Raiders team, or for, for Oakland in general, I don't think they're, they're too upset about seeing that team go <laughs> to Vegas next year. Is it next year? I thought maybe it was 2020. I thought it was 2019. It was 2019, 2020, but very soon nonetheless. Gary? It's a collapse to say the least, but they, they're they building a good base right now because they have so many draft picks coming up in the next couple of years with trading Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, and all those guys, which was the craziest thing. that They got a first-rounder for Amari Cooper. Like, how in the world do you get that when Demaryius Thomas and who else was traded? Golden Tate was traded for a third-round pick. And Demaryius Thomas was a fourth-rounder. How do you get a first-rounder out of Amari Cooper? He hasn't been good in the past two seasons. They just refuse to throw the ball to him. So they're building a good base right now just for when they get to Las Vegas. 
And yeah, I, I think you just you just need to give John Gruden time here. I don't know if it'll ever work out, uh, but the the Raiders are gonna have to wait and see because they are locked in big time with that contract. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Gary said, a lot of draft picks coming in, and uh, you just gotta wait and see with Gruden. I think the, I think the fact that John Gruden still thinks that he can build a championship contender team here in Oakland is absolutely or not here, but absolutely hysterical. And what's even funnier to me is that he claims that he has players lining up to play in Oakland, <laughs> soon to be Las Vegas, as Chris said, in the next couple of years. I don't know. Um, how you could take anything that Gruden says seriously, though. I think he has lost the locker room, and that's his fault. But the reality of things is that the majority of this is not his fault. He's just, you know, talking out of his behind, almost as if he's trying to kind of deflect everything that's happening going on with the team in the locker room. But it's really only making it worse. But it's not his fault. On the first or second show of Tom Hawk Talk this semester, if you remember, we talked about the Khalil Mack trade, and I condemned Reggie McKenzie and Mark Davis then, and I doubled down on that statement now. We talked last week about two coaches that were being used as scapegoats for the faults of their owners, uh, and they were fired last week. That was Tyron Lue and Hugh Jackson, hashtag rip Hugh and Lue. <laughs> this week we have a situation in which a coach is being used as a scapegoat as well, but he's not being fired, and that's the major difference. And the, the, the other difference is that the ownership knows that, this is, that their coach is the one that's going to be taking the blame. They're just going to continue to let Gruden uh, act delusional and be John Gruden so uh, they don't have to deal with finding another coach because they will. I think they'll let Gruden go at the end of the season. I think they'll let them take the blame, and then they'll fire him, and that's something that's really scummy, and it's something that's not exactly that nice, but it, it's the best thing that you could probably do when you're off to this disastrous of a start. And as Chris alluded to, you are moving to Las Vegas in a, in, in a couple weeks. As far as like the team composition, though, you have, you have Carr, Cooper, Mack, probably your most consistent draft picks over the last however many years. Then you trade Cooper, and you trade Mac, and David Carr, or excuse me, Derek Carr, is probably walking around going like, "What the hell happened? Where did everybody <laughs> go? I, I like go away from one week, and almost everybody is gone." So in a business sense, it's not good, you know. But in terms of players too, you take a look at players looking at Oakland, and you see play Khalil Mack getting traded. It's like, well, if they're going to trade him, <laughs> probably the best defensive end in football, defensive end slash linebacker. They bounce him around a little bit. Why would you go and play there? There, there? There's no reason why you would go to play there, especially seeing with the turmoil in the locker room, especially seeing what John Gruden is saying. He's sounding like he is still in the broadcasting booth, and I know because Jay Cutler left his job in the broadcast booth to play for the Miami Dolphins how that works. Not a good look. I think this is a really big collapse. Maybe not as big as the collapse as uh, when Peyton Manning left the Colts, uh, but that was more of a Peyton Manning issue, not a Colts issue. Gary, you've been... I think you, I think you go and play for Oakland because you see what the future they have, and they're going to have a ton of cap space to pay people. They're going to be able to pay those big players to come back to Oakland because they're going to be paying a ton of guys on rookie contracts with all those draft picks. So they're going to be doing what a lot of teams are now doing right now where they're like the Rams. The Rams are doing it exactly how they're setting up a perfect blueprint right now. They're... They have a rookie uh, quarterback on a rookie contract, and they paid their defense. You've got to pay the defense now to win a championship now. So the Raiders are going to do the same exact game plan soon, except they won't have Carr on a rookie contract. So with that being said, that was the off-the-top segment brought to you by me, sponsored by me. Before we get into Florida State football here in a second, as we normally do, I think it's time that we give the first primetime spotlight to a team that is a little bit more worthy, and that is the Florida State women's soccer team. The ladies won their fifth ACC title in the past six seasons. They're sixth overall, beating North Carolina 3-2 to two yesterday, led by Dallas Dorsey, who had an absolute stellar game, two goals in the first half, and then an absolutely gorgeous cross to Christina Lynch, which was the game winner after the Tar Heels did tie the game up at two apiece. It was announced today that the Knolls are the number one seed and we'll be facing Loyola Chicago in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Sister Jean. Sister Jean makes a comeback. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Guys, I know everybody wants to talk about football around here in Tallahassee, 
But this women's team has arguably been the most prestigious and most consistent sports program at this university for a long while now. They won the title in 2014, if you can remember. What are the odds that they do it again? That they win the That they the win title? the whole thing. The whole thing. It's, uh, I want to say it's looking really good. However, the reason NC, uh, UNC was able to tie it up was because uh, the, the goalie, the Florida State's goalie, Bollinger, I forget, I forget her first name, but she actually was injured. She came out injured, uh, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, about a minute or two after she was taken out of the game, that's that's when UNC scored those other two goals. So, I mean, uh, Dallas Dorsey, uh, Florida State has a great front line, has a great uh, attack. However, if you don't have a solid goalie, those goals can really catch up to you, especially on a national stage. Yeah, uh, Dana Castellanos up front for Florida State. She's one of the most talented women I've ever seen play the game. And if they get her the ball, anything could happen. They could make, they could go all the way. And the fact that they were able to beat the Tar Heels, who are the most fundamentally sound team in the nation, I think, you know, the the sky's the limit here. I think I think they got a pretty good chance of going all the way, or at least making it to the Final Four here. But uh, looking at the bracket right here, they play. If they win out at least to the third round, and another team wins out, that would be t USC. We we played U or FSU played USC early on in the season. They won that game. I think That's gonna be a revenge I'm game. I'm pretty sure it was a tie. Was it a tie or I was think, it? I think it was a tie and double overtime. I believe they, they tied U uh, UCLA, but they beat USC. No, no I, I'm pretty sure they beat U they beat UCLA four to one, and then they tied USC. Well, regardless, regardless, USC is gonna be out for revenge, and like anyone knows, anything can happen in a revenge game. Yeah, obvi obviously being the number one seed helps this team a lot, and this is a number one seed that is definitely deserved. They faced some really tough competition at the beginning of the season, like we just mentioned. Uh, they f they faced USC, UCLA, and Florida in a three-game stretch. And uh, look who's in this other, like you said, Gary, look who's on the side of the bracket with Florida State, USC. They tied USC um, when they faced off at the beginning of the season. That's going to be a make-it-or-break-it game for this team, and if they make it past USC, there's a chance that they do play North Carolina again in the finals. That would be for the championship game. But based off of their performances of late, this team, I think, has US UNC's number. Of course, you have a really strong team uh, on this side of the bracket. Um, I still think Sanford, or excuse me, Stanford is a team to beat at this point besides UNC. That would be a really, really interesting semifinal match if both teams win out and made it all the way to the College Cup, which, if yeah. you didn't know, is basically uh, the, the, the term for the, uh, the Final Four. No, but th this this women's soccer team, I think these ladies are just a very, very strong, fundamental team. They have a fantastic attack, and they definitely have a very real shot of bringing home the national title. And the four matches before the College Cup will all be played in Tallahassee as well, which, if you don't know, um, I think that's one of the first times that it's happened. Hmm. I, 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 I believe so. I think I read that somewhere. Somebody want to fact check on me that, that would be very much appreciated. But... <laughs> Uh, you can't be right all the time. I will uh, bring, in some, bring in some more excitement to the game of soccer, which is, is already, of course, one of the most international sports, but to, to bring some excitement um, to town, I think that, that would be great. I mean, as, as you know, we were talking about, Dana Castellanos has a huge following in Venezuela. People fly from Venezuela just to see Dana Castellanos. I, I like Venezuela. Venezuela. Uh, you know, <laughs> listen. Chris, Chris is the... <laughs> Uh, the, uh, I'm the, the 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 token Latino. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's 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 a great team to watch, and I think uh, to bring uh, the tournament here. You know, of course, we've had we've had the college no, not the college World Series, but we've had the college uh, baseball playoffs uh, played here. If I'm not mistaken, was softball here last year as well? Um, I I think mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. yeah. So a lot of great playoff collegiate sports mm -hmm. have been played, and I think bringing that soccer atmosphere would would do some good in this town. Well. That about ends all the positive stuff on this show, because <laughs> now 
we get to talk about NC State, Florida State. Oh, to joy. But, gents, again, from the very start of this football game, Florida State found itself once again in a hole that it could mm. not get itself out of. And eventually, I think some people just said screw it and started to uh, dig that hole a little bit deeper. Uh, now, that's not to say that, the, that, the, that this team gave up this week because out of all the changes we could see from the previous Clemson game, uh, Taggart was able to get his players uh, to not quit in this game. And Florida State never gave up in this game from what we uh, from what we saw. They just had too large of a hole to drag themselves out of. And the story of this game was penalties and field position in that regards. I will say that this is probably the worst that this defense has played all year. Uh, by the way, NEMSA, Nasruddin, and A.J. Westbrook had to combine 25 tackles on this game. And any time your safeties are getting that many tackles, there's a huge problem with your front seven. Uh, but MC State was constantly playing with a short field, and that really didn't help the defense. Uh, well, in terms of the defense and how FSU's defense played, NC State just ran the ball down their throat the whole game, and it just felt like it never stopped, and that's really what FSU couldn't do to get their offense going is run the ball. I think I'm looking at the stats here. FSU really had like four, like 45 yards total rushing. So you're telling me there's a problem with the offensive line, Gary. <laughs> I'm trying to get, yeah, get there. So just, like, just like trying to slide it there. It's like, hey, there might, be, there might be a problem here. I don't know what it is, but there's a problem. <laughs> L listen, I mean, the NC State offensive line was really impressive mm -hmm. on Saturday. Uh, and not only that, Ryan Finley, who will play in the NFL, has great pocket presence, and we put absolutely no pressure on him. I mean, the DBs were just left out to dry, and that, that's what I think led to a lot of the pass interference calls. Well, keep in, keeping in mind that on last week's show, I think up to that point, NC State offensive line has only allowed four sacks, and Florida State did not get a sack in this past game, so, th so that impressive number uh, continues on. Can yeah. I tell you what, what's what's really frustrating? Go <laughs> ahead, Chris. <laughs> is come right there with you. Oh my gosh! Is is watching that LSU Alabama game, and and seeing Tua not getting touched at all. I'm like, wow. So this is what a good offensive line. I was looks about like. to say, like watching the NC State game, I was like, so this is where all the offensive linemen chose right. to commit to. Right. Well, because you know, you you see a lot of other great programs around the country run these incredible plays, have these their running backs are taken off and getting all this yardage, and Florida State give the give the ball to Cam Akers, and he and he averages what two point eight yards a carry. It's 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 infuriating at times, if I'm being honest. I think I saw one time in the game where Cam Akers found a hole. It was either like on a short dump off or like he, he found a hole and I was like, oh, he can do it, he can do he it. And had like, a, oh. He had a couple of opportunities uh, early in the game, which they, granted, if there's one consistency between the Clemson game and the NC State game is that Florida State did get opportunities early. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There were some opportunities there, but over the course of the game, the offensive line just got tired and just got outworked and then those, uh, those, those opportunities just depleted. Obviously, this has been a disappointing season. There's nobody that would argue with that, but this past Saturday was the first time that I was angry instead of disappointed in this football team. Obviously, there was news that came after the game that Taggart had given up the, the, uh, the play calling to Walt Bell. The two had been sharing, sharing the, uh, the responsibility beforehand, and good for Taggart for giving up the play calling. That shows kind of like the coach that he, that he mm -hmm. is and what he wants to be. But now, <laughs> and now I have a definite person to blame for the play calling. And I've preached it on this show week after week after week after week. But this play calling, it, it isn't the only reason that Florida State is losing games. But the lack of understanding of what place to call and when is probably third biggest reason this team is losing games besides turnover pe uh, and penalties. I, I kind of want to raise a question because my roommates and all the people around campus have kind of been talking about it. It's like, with the players that we have now, they're mainly learned a pro-style offense. Do you think the coaching staff could ever just say, screw it, just switch to a pro-style? Like, just tr like try and like do something, at least with the blocking schemes on the O-line, 
or just trying to figure out something to make it more manageable for them. Yeah, I mean, th this staff came in, and they, they, they want to run their offense. And what I think it's going to be is, is them, they're going to have to bring in the personnel to fit that offense. I don't, I don't see them switching to, to a pro style. No, neither do I. I just wanted to ask a question. I don't <laughs> think they'll switch, but I think realistically, for the remainder of the season, I think Taggart is going to be issued a, I'm not going to say a challenge, but there's a bit of an opportunity here. Obviously, he's not calling plays anymore, but this is his Gulf Coast offense. Experiment with it. Take the time. You're facing a couple of good defense. Boston College, Notre Dame, I think, is 25th ranked in, in, in total team defense. So they're not they're not nothing to you know shake a stick at, and neither is University of Florida. But but with that being said, you know, experiment a little bit. Maybe try to throw in a little bit of pro style. If I see James Blackman or DeAndre Francois lining up in the I formation, I might giggle, to be <laughs> honest with you, because and and we'll get to that we'll get to that later. But you know. The play calling, um, you you have okay. Just fast forwarding here. You have a fourth and one, mm -hmm. third quarter. You come out of the uh, the halftime break, having scored a touchdown on the previous side of it. If you score here, it's a it's a 27-24 game. You're in your own side of the field, and you decide, <laughs> and I can't say this without laughing. You decide to run a slow developing run play from the shotgun formation, a play that has not worked since day one and will continue to not work, and Cam Makers is swallowed up by the NC State defensive line, the best part of their defense, instead of attacking an NC State defensive secondary that has looked horrid the past couple of weeks versus Clemson and Syracuse. See, if they just ran a play like what you're saying out of the I formation and just did a pl simple play-action pass, or simple play-action pass, Anything. that might catch so many people off guard because mm -hmm. you're going to get linebackers and safeties crashing over the top there, and you'll just hit another guy over the middle. And it feels like half the time when FSU does run passing plays, there's rarely anything across the middle. It's a lot of out, a lot to the outsides, and a lot to just, like, catch the ball and take two steps, and you're out of bounds there. We, we, we've, we've talked about this week in and week out, how it's there needs to be a lot more emphasis on the pass game and it, it seems like week in and week out there's still I feel like Taggart is <laughs> is just consistently going to be focusing on the, he wants this Gulf Coast offense to work so bad with the run the truth of the matter is you need those Alabama style bulky bulky running backs to make an offense like this work and you need that solid offensive line it's just I agree I, I think running with uh, with play action passes, that's really going to catch a lot of people off guard. That can be good for some big yardage, and also, you know, getting getting those pass plays for bigger yardage. Uh, it's it's there. There has to be an adjustment made there. I mean, look at what Tamari and Terry did in this football game. This kid is something special. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, this kid is a freak of nature. Deep ball threat. <laughs> Deep ball threat, and he was showing off in the first half. DJ Matthews even had some yards, too. DJ Ma Matthews probably had the quietest 100-plus yard game <laughs> yes. I have ever seen. And a touchdown. And, and, and a touchdown. Why are you running the ball on fourth and one from the shotgun formation when it's going to take three seconds or more to develop and you know that your offensive line is not going to be able to hold it? But uh, it, it's just it's, – it, but it's more than that. The inability of this coaching staff to acknowledge and sift out the strength of this offense has been laughably bad. And it, it confuses me on, it, moment, day to day as to why they have not figured out that this offense is at its best when they are not insistent on developing a run game that is not there. Nick, so are, are you saying 
if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but are you saying that Tomahawk Talk should take over the play calling? I am volunteering game? myself to become <laughs> the new offensive coordinator of Florida State University. Wow. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the real question to come out of this game, James Blackman, he's thrown in, much like he was last year, for an injured DeAndre Francois now. The question was whether or not DeAndre Francois was going to play. He was day-to-day pretty much the entire week, and then we get the news. James Blackman is going to start. He comes out, and although this is a game that obviously got out of hand for a multitude of different reasons, he had himself a really, really good game. game. And the question has become, with DeAndre Francois still banged up, James Blackman has used all four of his redshirt games, which, per the new rules, is you're allowed to play four games, uh, and you're still allowed to be redshirt. So this upcoming game, if he were to play in the Notre Dame game, that would wipe away his redshirt eligibility. The question is, to redshirt or not to redshirt, who's playing this weekend? Uh, I think if, if Taggart is going to play to keep the bowl streak alive, he's going to play. Blackman is going to play. Um... I wouldn't blame Taggart for red for for maintaining the red shirt because I think I think having a guy like Blackman in your program for a long period of time could do a lot of good for your program, especially one that you're trying to rebuild. Um, I think it just depends on what Taggart is uh, is is trying to what he's trying to make of the legacy of this first season. But I I could see I could see Blackman playing. Yeah, and it, I, I would. I would play Blackman. Uh, you know, bowl streak or no bowl streak. I don't think you need three more years of eligibility left from James Blackman. You've got four-star recruit Sam Howell coming in next year. I think you really want Blackman to learn this offense against three really talented teams to finish the season so that next year, if he is your guy, you're going to redshirt Howell or have Howell back up Blackman. You know, you've got someone that's a little more comfortable with the offense. I think we're all, yeah, it sounds like we're all in consensus here. I'd go with Blackman as well. You really have to kind of, this is kind of like, just eat your pride. We're trying. They're trying to get this bull streak alive, keep it alive, and Blackman's giving us the best chance right now. I'm on record on saying Florida State's not going to win another football game this year. So that being said, it doesn't matter who is playing at quarterback, whether it's Francois, whether it's Blackman. But I do agree with you, Brett, and I do agree with you, Gary and Chris, that James Blackman should probably be starting this weekend whether it's just to get a more handle of the offense. And it's not like DeAndre Francois has lost the starting job, so to speak. Obviously, he's beaten up. But with how the players responded to Blackman and how Blackman has been an integral part of the sideline for as long as Francois has been starting, I think that for the the future of this football team, it would be wise for Taggart to forego the redshirt as much as that really, really sucks because they've really been kind of careful with Blackman all season and it's like they've wanted to redshirt him, but I think you really need to throw that away. Say, okay, kid, you're going to get some playing time against uh, three ranked teams to end the season. Let's see what you can do. Let's see if you can learn this offense, and let's let's bulk up for next year. I see. What, I saw with Blackman at least this weekend in the games. Whenever the pocket broke down him, he took. He was more likely to just break out and run the ball upfield. Mm-hmm. With Francois, a lot of time you saw him kind of scared and hesitant to run mainly. I would assume because of that knee injury, and he would go to the right or the left. But Blackman just went straight upfield, tried to go north south and get yards. Well, he's moving. He's yeah. moving in that pocket. He's not sticking around like a. Mm-hmm. I, I can't come up with an analogy quick enough. But you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. He, uh, he, he looks to make plays instead of waiting for him to come crashing down. And with that, we're about halfway through the show at this point. We still have the Notre Dame game to talk about in greater detail on the other side of the break, as well as the Time Honor Tradition seminal segment. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll see you in a couple.
Hello everyone, my name is Austin Reynolds and this is your weekly edition of Tomahawk Talks Seminole Segment. Starting off, the FSU soccer team won the ACC championship for the sixth time in the program's history yesterday afternoon. The seventh-ranked Seminoles upset the third-ranked North Carolina Tar Heels 3-2, thanks to a first-half brace from tournament MVP Dallas DeRosey and an 84th-minute game-winner from Christina Lynch. Additionally, this was the first time that the Tar Heels had ever lost the ACC championship game in regulation, having won 21 of their previous 24 appearances with three penalty kick losses. The Knolls' historic performance earned them a number one seed in the Division I Women's Soccer Championship, where they, where they will play Loyola Chicago rather, in the first round of the bracket. After the match, head coach Mark Krikorian praised his team's mental strength, saying, Our kids showed a lot of composure to be able to come back after giving up two goals to find a way to win it in the end. The Knolls will play their first round match on either the 9th, 10th, or 11th of this month. Moving on, FSU men's basketball opens their season tomorrow night as they host their in-state rival Florida Gators. Recent history favors the Seminoles, who have won the last four matchups against the Gators. The Knolls are also returning their top three scorers from a season ago, in Phil Kofer, Terrence Mann, and Brian Angola. Kofer will be out for approximately six weeks, though, due to a foot injury that he suffered during practice last week. Regarding this injury, head coach Leonard Hamilton simply stated, Someone else is going to step up. We have to make some adjustments in our rotation, I'm sure, but hopefully Phil will come back strong. Expectations are high in Tallahassee after the team reached the, the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament last season, and a win over the Gators would be a great first step toward a repeat performance. Tip-off is scheduled for 9 p.m. tomorrow night from the Donald L. Tucker Civic Center here in Tallahassee. Finally, the FSU volleyball team took out 24th-ranked Louisville in four sets on Sunday for their 16th win of the season and their first win against a ranked opponent in almost two years. Following the win, head coach Chris Poole had high praise for his team, stating they have continued to work hard and have improved as the season progresses. A pair of strong individual performances from Peyton Caffrey and Bri Brianne Burkert powered the Knolls to victory, with Caffrey recording 28 kills and Burkert tallying 32 assists, both season highs. The win also catapulted the team into second place in the ACC, behind 10th-ranked Pittsburgh, who the Knolls play a week from Wednesday in their last home match of the season. Next up for the Knolls is a match against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish on Sunday, November 11th at 1 p.m. That'll do it for this week's Seminole segment. Once again, this is Austin Reynolds, and you're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Now back to the show. And welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on, as he said, WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. And that was the time-honored tradition here at Tomahawk Talk, the Seminole segment. Austin Reynolds in the booth. Austin Workman, thank you very much. So, on the other side of the break, we left you talking about uh, a little bit about Notre Dame and whether DeAndre Francois or James Blackman should play. And we were all in consensus that we think James Blackman should step up and take the starting role, forego the red shirt, and see what he can do with this Florida State offense. But in terms of the game itself, I think, I think the big hope for the Seminoles is the fact that Notre Dame has played down to bad teams this season and played up to good teams. They beat Michigan week one 
and then they beat San, uh, Stanford and Virginia Tech later in the season. But Pittsburgh, which isn't the, is, is about middle tier in terms of the ACC, Vanderbilt, and of course Northwestern last weekend. Those were pretty close games, guys. This is this is a team that we weren't impressed by earlier in the season, and they have improved since then. Fuller State has a 9% chance to beat the Irish this weekend, according to ESPN. Spread is currently at 17.5. We've seen a lot of high spreads so far this season. Where does Florida State lie in this game for you? For me, the biggest component of this game is how well the defense uh, will play after a bad week in Raleigh, and also how well Ian Book is going to play in this game. We uh, were talking before the show, Gary. Uh, we weren't sure what to think of him. I, st I still don't know what to think of him yet. He's th he can throw the ball for sure. He can run the ball just a bit, but there's still some questions there because I, I don't know if you saw on the first play of the Northwestern game, they did an RPO option there, and he drops the ball with the running back and Northwestern recovers on the very first play of Notre Dame's possession. So, I don't know. There's still some questions. He's young. He's still learning it all, but I don't know. Where, where, where does Florida State sit in this game for you, Chris? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy what you say whenever I, I throw out an ESPN percentage chances. <laughs> So you're saying there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. Well, as I said, <laughs> as I said earlier in the show, this is not a defense that's the worst. It's not the defense that it's that's the best. It's it's in the upper echelon of teams. It's the 25th ranked uh, defense in uh, in the in the in the nation in terms of total defense. So, if you're looking for an offense to kind of have an easy week, you know you know some of these these top ranked teams are definitely offense heavy, and I would say that Notre Dame is an offense heavy team, but their defense as I've said, does kind of hold a little bit of a candle to some of the better defenses in the league, yeah. or excuse, excuse me, in the nation. So what, 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 what is the offense going to have to do in order to get any kind of traction, Brett? Uh, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see um, uh, James Blackman and the Tamari Ontario matchup again. I mean, they had a really great game at NC State last week, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see if uh, Tiger works him into the offense more. Gary? I think it, it all, it's all comes down to running the ball. If they can run the ball, they're going to win the game. But I don't know if that's going to happen. It, I don't know if that's going to happen. It really <laughs> makes me cringe when you say that because <laughs> I know that they're going to try. Mm -hmm. But also, if, expe so hard. if expectations so hard. are anything from this season thus far, I mean, they are going to fail. They, they didn't in NC State. They didn't even get to 20 carries. To FSU didn't get to 20 carries total. So I, they really didn't run the ball at all. That is true. Yeah. Listen, I, I think I think a big thing to take into consideration as well is. You've got a bunch of Florida players heading to Indiana. Yeah. In November. In November, and it's supposed to be very, very cold. Finally, <laughs> 35. Finally, yeah. a temperature to match this Florida State offense. <laughs> um, that's a hot take on a cold day, a cold Saturday. It's going to be. I think it's a. It's a not. It's a 7:30 game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. So it's going to be extra cold. It's not mm -hmm. like these players are even going to have a bit of sun to warm up to. But let's talk predictions for this game. Uh, who wants to go first on this? I'm sure nobody was really looking forward to this because we're probably going to have pretty similar scores here. I'm scared. You're scared. <laughs> I'm scared. Chris or Gary? I'll take four Notre Dame 47, Florida State 27. Uh, but the thing is, when you were saying that Notre Dame has played down to their some teams this year, all those teams were teams that they you would expect them to play down to. But all teams that they've beaten, like West or Virginia Tech, Stanford, Michigan, and, uh, I mean, Navy kind of, but, like, they played up to those teams. They showed up for those games. So, like, those big names, they will show up. Like, they didn't show up to for Vandy. Like, right. I'll take uh, Notre Dame 35, Florida State 27. I actually think this game could be really close at halftime, maybe even a lead for the Seminoles. But I think in the second half, uh, it's just going to be Notre Dame just going to outplay them. 
Yeah, I, I I would agree with that prediction as well. But I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a little le- a little more pessimistic and say Notre Dame 42, Florida State 24. We'll say this game is another game that I think that Florida State does have a chance to win, just like NC State. But as we saw with NC State, they kind of blew that game with their play calling, and I think that that trend is going to continue unless by some miracle. Uh, Walt Bell figures out what that offense can do, and, say, yeah. and, they, and, they, and they do figure out uh, what works against this Notre Dame defense. But in terms of final score, I think this is pr- the, the spread is going to be just about met. I think it's going to be uh, 35 Notre Dame, 17 uh, Florida State. Chris, you had, you oh, I was just going to say, I, I am interested to see how this offense will perform with Ed, with I almost said Ed Helms with uh, with Walt Bell. No, that's not <laughs> quite it. <laughs> no, <laughs> with Walt Bell fully calling uh, doing the play calling this week. Um, you know, I think hopefully he won't have the same tendencies that Willie has to strictly rely on that run, and maybe we'll see some improvement there. Before we head on to the uh, the NFL midseason rewards, uh, go and talk about that, which should be which should be really fun uh, segment. Do you want to talk a little bit about the situation at University of Maryland and, and DJ Durkin, and what a what a uh, a surpri- I'm I'm trying to find the right right words to say because it's it's a whole lot of things in one. It's surprising, it's shocking how they handled it. It's kind of gut wrenching in a way how they handled it. And I'm just kind of looking for your general take now, guys. W- what did you think of the situation? I mean, this looks bad no matter no matter how you look at it. I mean, the fact that they, they made the decision to bring him back mm-hmm. and then based on the pressure they were facing, uh, you know, ended up firing him. This is just a bad look on the university. Were you surprised that they brought him back initially anyways? I, I was. I mean, I don't I don't know who's making the decisions on the Board of Regents at Maryland. There's a, there's there's a bunch of people making the decision and it doesn't seem like they listen to anybody outside those closed doors. Honestly, but I'm I'm gonna call it like I see it. It's it's honestly kind of a spineless decision. The fact that the the the, the, the decision to fire him again is kind of like okay no if you're gonna make a decision it's like that you better stick by it because if you can't stick by that you shouldn't have made it in the first place yeah i was gonna describe it as mind-numbingly stupid how <laughs> they decided to bring back dj durkin like where you why would you bring this guy back this whole ba- awful situation happened under him you can't really bring the guy back and say this is our guy we trust him like and, and, and recruiting-wise, too, it's a mess. You can't, you're not going to be able to get any recruits if you have a guy that had a kid die on, the fe- on his field, and, under his watch. And as, just as a parent, like, I, know, I know a lot of us probably played sports as kids, and you know, it was all about, well, you know, it's, about, it's about having a good time, but obviously there was you know, always <laughs> snacks and juice boxes there making sure that we didn't get dehydrated and fall over. And, Your coach is there and, to make and, sure and you're fine. That is just a simple coaching duty that DJ Durkin – failed at in probably the biggest way possible and and there is that parental approval there's that parental love for your mm-hmm. children that of course me as a 21 year old i could talk a whole lot about <laughs> but there is that parental aspect to it that i i, I have a hard time seeing that the the players are going to want to go and play there but i also have i have a harder time thinking that the parents are going to allow them to like with the recruiting like when coaches come down and sit in their family's living room they'll say like this we want this to be a great home a second home for your kid we want we're going to be his parents pretty his like second parents or whatever second family 
do you want that kind of second family if you're a student or a fan, another parent giving their child away to DJ Durkin? <laughs> well, I mean, well, he's fired now, but it's the, I mean, point, the uh, point being. The point being. These, these are the things that these people should have been thinking about at this meeting. I can guarantee you at that meeting there was uh, an attendance by a man named Jim Bean and another man named Jack Daniels. But <laughs> anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> they beat Texas, though, when he was there. That's why. <laughs> Yeah, they did. Well, they did. Texas. It wasn't even, Texas. you know, it wasn't wasn't only the death of Jordan McNair, which should have been enough to fire him. Right. It, it was, you know, you heard all the other reports coming out of the program that are just terrible mm -hmm. in, the, in the toxic culture they had there. So I, I just don't know how. how but didn't the NCAA didn't the NCAA rule it as like that non was it what was the word they used to describe it? It's like that. Like where they have like no institutional control or something like that. The way it, I remember, it, they said they had none of it. It's that. not about the legalities though. It's the optics of it. The mm -hmm. fact that this just you know you've got to just start anew. Uh, mm -hmm. You know if you're the University of mm -hmm. Maryland. You've got to think about it. What is go you, you saw what happened when when Jordan McNair died. The reaction to um, DJ Durkin getting fired. Uh, do you think that's just going to go away in half a season? Like. Again, these are the things that should have been thought about and worked out in their head before. This timing couldn't have been worse. You know, I, I'm under the impression that he shouldn't he, that he should have stayed fired, and he oh, shouldn't yeah. he, he shouldn't have come back. There should be a few more fires. He should have been pla but placed on leave. Well, <laughs> he shouldn't have been placed on leave or whatever. And he should and I, I, if if Maryland had had the cojones to stay with their decision, I, I don't understand. Oh, I, I I don't understand why you you fire him now. Like at least leave it till the end of the season. But I guess, you know, the timing, the, timing was, the timing was right, but the timing was terrible at the same time, I suppose is what I'm saying. With that being said, debuting a new segment right now. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did okay. you know? I did not know. Surprised. Surprised. Right now. Uh, this is a new segment called I Skipped It. And contrary to what you might think it is, it's not something that I missed or that I, I, I inadvertently went over. <laughs> Uh, this is a play on one Skip Bayless, who is known for uh -huh. making a lot of very questionable hot takes and decisions. And the I Skipped It segment is where everybody kind of gets to make fun of me a little bit, or I get to make fun of myself, oh. and I bring up <laughs> a call or a hot take that I made earlier in the season that I got disastrously wrong. And uh, at the end, you guys could either back me up or, or shame me altogether. We'll probably join in and shame you. Probably join in and shame <laughs> me. Earlier <laughs> in the season, I claimed that Michigan would fall out of the top 25. I claimed that Michigan was not that good of a football team. And here they are in the college football playoff rankings, and they beat Penn State 42-7. to Ladies and gentlemen, I skipped it. I skipped that one. <laughs> I think saying that they were going to fall in the top 25 was a bit egregious, but I think that saying that they're going to falter in the season, I don't think that's not that's not wrong. I think there there's still a chance that they lose to Ohio State because Ohio State has his, their number. Urban Meyer somehow knows the playbook already, and I think Michigan is going to choke it down the end. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Harbaugh hasn't beaten Ohio State. Correct. He has not. You're so correct. <laughs> there, there is still a lot that could go wrong uh, for the Michigan Wolverines this season. Anybody else? Chris, are you going to shame me? What is it? I mean, I can't, there, I can't think of another. several other things I could shame you on, but <laughs> sport-related, I can't think of any. Not not yet. Maybe next week. Okay. Also, you can skip me right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I said I can fire some heat back at you, but we're all friends here. <laughs> we're all friends here. <laughs> So, 
uh, about 10 minutes left in the show. I've kind of been looking forward to this. Uh, it's always it's always kind of a fun thing when you reach this time of the season where you can kind of put a bunch of things in perspective. The speculation is not quite over, but it's the things are kind of coming into a bit of a clear picture. We're talking to NFL midseason awards. So I have a list of uh, questions, a list of I guess I guess awards to offer, and I, I want I want your I want your best takes. I want your uh, best people to win this award, and we're going to start pretty easy um, and very naturally with the MVP award. Who's it going to? OBJ with that contract? Uh, no, no, no. I'm just <laughs> 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 no, I'm just. Um, honestly, give me, give me Drew Brees. Maybe it's a Saints bias, but I, I love the way he's played, and 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 at his age, um, coming back after that that season opening loss, I, the man is seems to be unstoppable at this point. I'm going to go with Adam Thielen. Man's stepped up this year. He's gone off. He's carried my fantasy football team to 9-0 <laughs> and right now. But <laughs> no, that's not the, that's not the that's subject not here. But, but still, all. he's been having a great year. 947 yards, seven touchdowns, number one receiver in the league. Listen, if, if Drew Brees wins the MVP, it'll be like one of those lifetime achievement awards. Right. Uh, the, the obvious answer here is Patrick Mahomes. Next, next week, this coming week, he's wow. going to eclipse 3,000 passing yards and 30 t uh, passing touchdowns already. Give him a rookie. And, 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 a, and a, only a one-loss team. Um, so I, the, the obvious answer for me is Patrick Mahomes. I, I disagree with that. I mean, this is not to be taken away from the amazing season that Patrick Mahomes had. But I'm the, the two people that I had written down for this answer was Patrick Mahomes, one, and Drew Brees, two. And I'm taking a look at these two teams and saying, okay, well, who would have it worse if either of these uh, either of these players got injured or stepped out? And I have to say, and this is going off of at the probably the more literal take on the most valuable player award. I would have to give it to Drew Brees right now. Uh, sure, you know there is uh, that that wide receiver quarterback stud. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, his last name's Hill, and I'm forgetting yeah. his first name. Um, Taysom. 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 Yeah, Taysom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then yes, there is the newly acquired Teddy Bridgewater. Which, granted, he has not played all that much, but I still think the kid has it somewhere deep inside. When I took a look at Patrick Mahomes, obviously the Chiefs moved Alex Smith prior to the season. I'm taking a look at the weapons that the Chiefs had. Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt. Those two, those two are equally as amazing as Patrick Mahomes. There would not necessarily be that much of a drop-off if Alex Smith was still the quarterback of the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes wasn't playing as to where if Drew Brees got hurt and either Teddy Bridgewater or uh, Hill is playing. I mean, you could say the same thing about the Saints offense with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. I mean, they're really the, the weapons that Breeze is able to use during the season. Um, you know, I, right, I, I but I they're, they're weapons in the air and on the ground. Like the uh, Gary, I know we're thinking the same thing. Right? Mm -hmm. I was thinking the Dolphins team song, we're in the air. We're on the ground. We're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl. Who just beat, <laughs> who just beat the Jets 13 to six? By oh, oh wow, what a it's amazing a score. it's a win. It shows up in the score. Yeah, what that, is that song? What, that's, that's the that's Miami Dolphins fight song. That is the best song <laughs> ever. Would don't you like you, me to play it? Don't you? No. I'll <laughs> play it right now. No. Copyright. 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 I'll play copyright. It. So I don't, don't care. <laughs> no one had Todd Gurley for MVP. Maybe. Not that great. We'll put him at three. We'll put him at three. Yeah. We'll put him at three. Thielen. Uh, I think Thielen. I think Thielen's Thielen's okay. Wait, 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 Thielen was probably the one that I was kind of the most iffy about out of the round table here. I mean, I saw a stat. He's the best wide receiver in the league well, right now. Yeah, that that is with Stephon with Kirk Diggs. Cousins as his with Stephon Diggs on the other side of the field, Gary. <laughs> Stephon Diggs takes so much pressure off of Thielen. Who's the next guy? Who's the best wide receiver then? Julio Jones, who just got his first touchdown yesterday. I no, Antonio Brown. 
Thielen has more yards than him. I I don't <laughs> with care. Kirk Cousins I, as his quarterback. I, I, <laughs> Kirk Cousins. He's not okay. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> Defensive player of the year. Who's next? Again, I mean, this one's not close. It has to be Aaron Donald. That's who he single-handedly mm -hmm. takes over football games. He might be the most explosive player in the NFL. I mean, yeah, it's just not even close, in my opinion. I'm, this is just so we don't get all Aaron Donald answers here. Kiko Alonso. <laughs> 80, second, second, in combined, second in combined tackles this season. Three picks, three forced fumbles. In just last game, seven tackles, one pick. Gary, your he's, bias is showing. He's pl <laughs> he's playing well. He is playing well right now, and it's showing. Mm. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying he's got this. He's got the second most tackles in in the league. He's a, what do you? I mean, what else do you want from a t defensive player? Um, you let let the guy go through. <laughs> I, you know, he's tackling. He's let, making tackles. Let me give it to Cleo Mack for showing John Gruden wrong. <laughs> Kiko, for trading him away. Kiko Alonso doesn't miss two straight yeah. games though. Gary, I'll, I'll admire your bravery. Dolphins beat the Bears too. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll admire yeah. your bravery for uh, dishing that take uh, live on air. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got more. I got more. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be surprised. All right, Gary might not appear on this show again. Okay. We'll take that into consideration. Probably not after the next one. <laughs> oh boy, I am excited for that. Yeah, Aaron Donald has been an absolute freaking nature in this league for a couple of years now. Absolutely fantastic defensive player, and. Uh, I really don't see any other person, despite what Gary thinks, uh, that could really take the place of Aaron Donald as far as the Defensive Player of the Year is concerned. All right, so next we have a team that has surprised you thus far this season. Houston Texans. Houston Texans. After, what was it, they lost uh, two or three straight, then they've, then they've gone on to win their last six. That's pretty surprising, and they've... Well, they've it hasn't been the best teams they've beat, but they've sh fought back. And even with the injury of Will Fuller, they went out and got Demaryius Thomas to fill in for there. So, like, they're making moves. They're trying to stay relevant right now, and they're probably going to win the AFC South. Listen, listen, yeah, the Houston Texans, you know, they, they, with, with the way the AFC is right now, uh, you know, any team really has a chance to make it to the AFC Championship game, and the, and the Texans are definitely a team to watch for. Um, but the biggest surprise for me is still the Kansas City Chiefs. We knew they would be good, that they had the threats on offense, uh, but not this good. Not, mm -hmm. you know, not one loss, you know, halfway through the season. Uh, and I've got to keep hyping up my boy Patrick Mahomes, and just with the MVP caliber season, the Chiefs have been uh, the biggest surprise for me. Chris? For me, I'm gonna say it's uh, it's the Bears. Give me give me the Bears. The uh, Bears. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I would say on the opposite spectrum of the Chiefs. You, I don't think you really expected the Bears to be number one, at least tied for number one. At the very least, you expected the defense to be better with the acquisition of Quill. Uh, uh, right. I was gonna say like you expected an improvement, but I mean for them to go five and three. Uh, who's the Mitch Trubisky? Not looking too bad. I mean, not great, but I mean, he, he's getting the job done. I, I, I don't know. I, I could see the I, sh I could see the Bears making uh making some moves, especially with especially with how much trouble the Packers are having mm -hmm. with Aaron Rodgers right now, and we'll get to that later. That that's 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 one of my picks for one of the uh, the awards uh, later down on the road. But in terms of the teams that surprised me, I'm going to say the Carolina Panthers. The Carolina Panthers have had a consistent defense. That, that's, that's a pretty well-known fact over the past couple of years. But Cam Newton, ever since that, that horrendous Super Bowl loss, he's kind of been really middle tier of a quarterback. He's not been that great, uh, and he, he has struggled at times. But this year, it finally feels like the Carolina Panthers have gotten the pieces that they've needed to kind of get back on track. And you've seen that in the record. They're 6-2 and two right now. 
and they do have the sinks to deal with, so that's not exactly the most con the, the most convincing uh, road ahead. But in, in terms of an NFC wild card, I think that the Panthers mm -hmm. definitely have a shot at that, at the very least. That whole NFC South is just ridiculous. The bu the Bucks technically, if you look at the stats, they have one of the most the best offenses in the league by the numbers. If you're looking that way, but they average the most yards out of anyone in the league, and just the whole rest of that division can really do damage. A team that has disappointed you, Brett. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say the the San Francisco 49ers. I know the Jimmy Garoppolo injury has really kind of derailed their season, uh, and they did get a win against Oakland on Thursday Night Football. But I mean, th this has just uh, been a really disappointing team uh, this season. Gary. Uh, I think we kind of expected it to be a disappointment, but the Buffalo Bills, they coming off of pl their first playoff appearance in 20 years, they just kind of flatlined. Chris? Uh, give me the Eagles, actually. Uh, I think coming off their uh, a big Super Bowl win against the Patriots, I expected them to at least do better than 4-4, four and four, uh, at least be up there with a one or two lost teams. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Eagles, although they're, they're having a bit more of a, re of a resurgence lately, but yeah. This is gonna and this might anger a couple of people in here, but the team that's disappointed me the most is the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's a good one. And really, this it's it's not that hard to see why, but I'm just I'm more pointing it out that what this season has essentially put forward is that this team is nothing without Leonard Fournette. Blake Bortles isn't a good quarterback. And I'm not quite sure why. Well, I believe in Blake. You believe it. Well, you also believe in Derek Cheater, and that's where we and, disagree and with Kiko as well. Alonzo. And Kiko Alonso. Hey, and Kiko hey, Alonzo. hey. Um, next yeah, week on I Skipped It. Over there, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Luke. We got some sensitive people. We got, to, yeah, some sensitive Jacksonville Jaguar fans also known as Luke Fight. <clears throat> but I, I really, it, this really, it, this season is a portrait of how iffy this team can be without Leonard Fournette and really how much of an impact that that man has on the offense and the defense has been really a step down and disappointment and it didn't really get any better as the uh, the Jaguars traded Dante Fowler Jr. to mm, I'm blanking on the team right now LA Rams the, the, the Rams as well uh, so we're gonna kinda, we're gonna kind of go lightning round here um, as fast as we can biggest surprise of the season in, in terms of just general biggest surprise of the season it's gonna be players coaches Wins, losses. Uh, James Conner, how he's filled in for Le'Veon Bell and has been a really great running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Browns, they won two games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Saints beating the Rams, giving the Rams the first loss of the season. I am, I am, I agree with Brett. I am, I'm not necessarily more amazed and surprised with how James Conner has been able to fill in for Le'Veon Bell. I'm surprised with how the organization handled that as a whole and how well they've handled this. They, I, at the beginning of the season, you would have said, okay, so the Steelers are going to budge eventually. Le'Veon Bell is going to get his money, but no, they have gotten this back. They have treated this as well as you can. James Conner is playing well, and they are going to be able to trade Le'Veon Bell for some really good prospects. So, And last one here, biggest disappointment is the season. This is general as well. Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, easy pick. Mm. Wow, I can't even I'm think of one right now. for Jameis Winston as well. Jameis Winston, that's two for Jameis. Are we going three mm. for Jameis? I don't know, but we Chucky got out in Oakland. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. And for me, I think the biggest disappointment of the season is how badly the Packers are wasting Aaron Rodgers' prime. This is an awful, awful, awful time for you to be mishandling this man. He's probably the best quarterback in the league right now. Yeah, I know Tom Brady is the GOAT, but Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the league. It's a shame how they are mishandling him. And that is about all the time that we have here for Tomahawk Talk.
this has been Chris, Gary, Brett, and Nick Harlow, your host. Thank you so much for listening. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Flair State. New release is up next.